Well, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. And in this episode number 455, I'm welcoming to the show my friend, Bree Stinsrud. This woman we met, she was from Iran. And she was here in the U.S. seeking asylum, and she had been granted asylum because back in Iran, she had been invited to a Bible study group in her neighborhood by some other women. It was obviously a very quiet study because, you know, Christians are persecuted in Iran. And she was late to group one day, and on her way there, the group was being raided. So she was late, so she was not a part of the raid. And so she went back to her house and she was like, we got to get out of here. Bree is the mother of two. She is the director of Women of Welcome, a community dedicated to diving into the whole of scripture to understand God's heart for the immigrant and the refugee. And she's a human dignity advocate. And she's my friend. We met on a trip to the southern border of Mexico. And we were both in a documentary with our friend Latasha Morrison. And I had her come on the show because she has a new book called Start With Welcome, The Journey Toward a Confident and Compassionate Immigration Conversation. And I love how Bree says, this is a holding hands, the both and of, yes, she wants safe and secure borders, and she wants human beings to be treated with dignity, love, and compassion. And so... Her heart is to help us who desire similar things to know what steps to take. She came from a pro-life background and has just expanded what pro-life means for her and to include the whole of life. And so I pray and hope that uh, if anything, this just motivates you to remember that you do have a voice and that your part in this whole story matters and that I can connect you with Brie and Women of Welcome so that if you are someone whose heart is being pulled towards this overwhelming, unsustainable at the current status uh, situation at our southern border, that you would feel equipped. And also just wanting to be good stewards of our time and energy and policy. And so my hope, again, like I said, is to connect you with Brie. And of course, we're not going to cover all the nuances of this conversation in this little interview, but it's a start. So let's get right to it. Here we go. Bree, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Hi, friend. It's so good to be with you. I actually had to go to my archives and do a little search because I swore I had already had you on to have this conversation. I was like, no, it's nowhere. What was I, I thinking? I think it was a couple years ago, maybe. It was a while ago. That you came, that you did come on? It was, but it was years ago, like probably five. It might have been on a li- Instagram Live because I cannot find it. Oh, man. Well, here we are. So here we are. And this is the perfect timing because we can have the conversation and then people can keep learning from your gorgeous book, Start With Welcome. Thank you. But I would love to start <laughs> with... Your story, like how in the world, who would choose this as their space to occupy? Um, How did you get into this space of having compassionate conversations about immigration? Oh, my goodness. Well, you were there. I was there. I'm in the book, You're in the book. So read and see what Heather was doing um, at the very Mm -hmm. beginning of the story. 
how did I get into this? Honestly, I got into this work because of my pro-life worldview. I grew up a evangelical free church pastor's kid, very conservative denomination in the Midwest. And I went to Dallas Theological Seminary and I was working at Focus on the Family right before I entered into this work. I was the director of Sanctity of Human Life. And so I was traveling around the country advocating for you know, vulnerable women who found themselves in unexpected situations for kids who were trapped in foster care. So my world was really kind of in the, you know, traditional pro-life movement of advocating for vulnerable people, but mostly in the pre-born and adoption space, right? And then I took some time away from Focus on the Family to adopt my son, my second son. And in that time, I was invited to go south of the border and see what was going on with vulnerable people on the other side of the border. And that's when the Lord just, you were you were there when it happened, when we both encountered two young women who, who had a story we couldn't believe and nothing has ever been the same since. And uh, it was real Southern Mexico, y'all. Oaxaca. Like when she says South of the border, we were like- Oaxaca, Mexico. Not just South of it. Like we were deep South <laughs> and uh, meeting- those who were traveling up from other vulnerable countries mm -hmm. into Mexico. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, it was like they weren't even thinking America yet. No. This was and like – some of them weren't. Yeah, and some of them, that wasn't even the plan. Mm -hmm. they, they maybe, imagine, wanted to keep some of their culture. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, several of them were like, we're just trying to get to Mexico City because there's more yeah. job opportunities there. It wasn't even about getting yes. to the border. And yet for some, that was the border too. So, And so we were on this trip. And the two gals you're talking about, when you said young women. They were kids. They were kids. 11-year-old? Uh, mm -hmm. And 13, I think. Was it a 15? I think it was 11 yeah. and 13. 13, okay. And they were holding babies because we were visiting a home for children, migrant children. Who were unaccompanied, yep. Who did, had who lost unaccompanied. and been separated from their parents. So they were at this government shelter for kids. And I knew the night before I was already crying with my roommate Tess because I was like, I, when I visit an orphanage or any place where there's children who aren't in families, I cry, I'm going to cry. And then we had Latasha who was like, don't cry. Yeah, I know. She's like, show up, let's go. And I'm like, okay. Don't cry because you're sad, but they're not sad. This is their reality. And I'm like, okay. So I put on sunglasses because I'm like, I'm not. I remember cry. that because in the documentary that was being filmed when we went, we were both wearing sunglasses. Because <laughs> uh -huh. we did cry, okay, y'all, because you get to tell the story of about these young women who were holding babies. Yeah. So Heather and I, for some reason, kind of wandered off to the left and everybody else kind of went out into the courtyard where kids were like playing basketball and games and things. And these two young kids, these two young girls came out with babies, one on her hip and one in her arms. And I thought, oh, how sweet, you know kids taking care of kids. They must be siblings. And then through the translator, as he was introducing them to us and telling us their story, it was like you and I just got very silent. And um, I think our questions kind of dissipated. Like at first I was, you know, like, let's figure this, like, where are they from? Where are they going? And then we found out that this 11-year-old was holding an eight-day-old baby. That was her own. And then this 13-year-old was holding a three-month-old baby that was her own. And it just 
like all of a sudden it was kind of like this for me, it was like a weird fog of like, how is that possible? Mm -hmm. Um, What are they doing here? Where are their moms? I just start immediately was like, went into activation, like mama bear mode in my mind. But then I was just so like disassociating, like what was going on? Because I was like, I have no context for an 11 year old holding her own child. What is going on? And why have I never known that this is the reality for so many people in countries to the South of the US? Why had I never been told this kind of narrative before this reality before? And um, I think both of us were beyond stunned. And when we, I mean, honestly, when I left that trip, I just remember thinking if my girlfriends could see what I just saw, if they could hear what I just heard over these four and a half days in Southern Mexico, they would be just as grieved as me. And I remember thinking, oh, the church just needs to know this is going on. If they, if they just knew we could fix this, like, and, um, of course, when you get deep into human dignity issues, you realize there really is no Southern, you know, silver bullet. And so then you have to start actually doing some work. No easy answers here. No, it's a lot of both. And it's, um, but that's where, that's kind of the point is we have to show up with the both. And, you know, there's so many things that we fear. There's so many things we don't know, but I think people are really relieved to hear me say, you can advocate for safe and secure borders and thorough vetting and also advocate for the humane treatment and the dignity of those arriving at our borders and going through our very broken process the best way that they know how. And we're not talking about those who are seeking to enter illegally. We're, we're not proponents of that. We actually want to make it more difficult to enter illegally, but we want to make it more humane and effective for people to come through legal pathways that not only would like spur on our economy and decrease inflation and all of those things, but also because we care about human flourishing as pro-life Christians. Yeah. So show up with the both and you can have both. And that is the connection to your story mm-hmm. of having this journey of advocating for the vulnerable in the traditional pro-life movement mm-hmm. and finding yourself face to face with children who've chosen life for their kids, but are in a really vulnerable yeah. situation. I went down there thinking, we're going to learn about immigration. And almost at every turn, it was like my pro-life convictions were just like right there in front of my face. It was like, you know, women who were uh, traveling, who were the pregnant. Femicide. Yeah, the femicide mm-hmm. rates and how high, and that's femicide, meaning the murder of females just for being female. Children being mothers. It was like, I couldn't escape the pro-life narrative. I couldn't, you know, escape the pro-life worldview because it just kept smacking me right in my face. And I was like, no, no, I'm here to talk about immigration. I'm here to learn. And then it was like, no, no, no. This is so deeply connected to your belief about the dignity and sanctity of every human life, regardless of culture, class, race, age, opinion, status, whatever that is, this is connected. And the Lord was like, I'm going to show you how, and it's going to feel really, um, disjointed and probably a little bit squishy at first, but because each and every person is made in the image and likeness of God and carries my image, I'm going to connect this for you. And it's been a journey. And I do appreciate you saying that we want to keep the border safe. We want to have good systems in place. We want, because I think 
a lot of people tune the whole conversation out because they see mm-hmm. immigration equals um, lawlessness, law- increasing yeah. lawlessness, increasing crime, mm-hmm. people coming who are causing more havoc to our life. Mm-hmm. And all of those fears can then cause us to not engage in a conversation. And I think that sometimes for me, to be honest, it feels so overwhelming, mm-hmm. all of the policy side of mm-hmm. things yeah. that I can check out. Like, I don't even, you just told me to call my senator, but I don't even understand the sentence you just told me to say to, say to them because there's so many double negative, you yes. know, like words that I don't want to do the not thing. I don't know if I'm even making no, sense. No, you are. Sometimes because sometimes the language yeah. can be so confusing. And I'm a person with a master's degree. Yeah. Well, immigration is really confusing in general. I mean, they have lawyers for the stuff. They say immigration law is even more complicated than tax law. So that ought to tell you, like, for the everyday person, like, even calling your senator, it's like, kudos for you. That's so amazing. (laughs) I I guess what I would want to encourage people is, is that when you enter into this conversation about immigrants and refugees, you don't have to have a conversation about partisan politics. You can actually have the conversation just about people, people who are made in the image and likeness of God. And then what would the Lord have us do to love our neighbor well? That doesn't mean we throw security and safety out the window. That doesn't mean that we don't advocate for what Americans also need. It just means that you show up in a space that says, all right, my compassion is actually not political. It's meant to be prophetic. And when we make it political, it dissipates all of the kingdom element of how we're supposed to show up in the world that we're in. So I want to encourage you that you have compassion, not because you've drummed it up in yourself. That is God given compassion. And it's not political. It's meant to be prophetic. And women know this in our guts, right? We know that we have a calling on our lives. And if you're a mother, you're like, this is my calling. It is also your calling to seek and bring forth the kingdom of God. And so when you enter into these spaces, when you start caring about having a better conversation about people that that other people want to write off or want to just blank statement on everybody on, like you're going to be told, oh, you're growing soft on this or, oh, this isn't a space you belong. And it's like, does it have to deal with people? Because right, right then, People are making these non-neighbor lists, you know, it's like, and you know, that young lawyer went up to Jesus and was like, all right, Jesus, I know the commandment. I'm supposed to love you. And I'm, you know, and then I'm supposed to love other people, but who exactly, you know, and in his mind, really what he's asking is who is not my neighbor? Who is it okay for me not to love? Like I love myself. Who's it okay that I don't advocate for, like I would advocate for my own children. And Jesus Mm. is like, I'm going to tell you a story about a Samaritan. And you don't really like Samaritans, but I guess what? He's the hero of the story, not you. So I think sometimes we get in these spaces where we let other people categorize who is worthy to be our neighbor, where Jesus is like, yeah, you're not supposed to have a non-neighbor list. Everybody's the neighbor, including people who don't have the same status as you, which is really hard for Americans because... Um, we don't like to live in the both end. We like the pretty comfortable box that says, nope, this is the safe space. Stay here. And um, Jesus keeps just dragging the disciples into all these spaces that are not really safe. And they're really uncomfortable. 
And so that's really inconvenient for the, for all of us who want to follow Jesus and do this right. But just be assured, yeah. you can have confidence about the compassion you have because it's God given, and it and it doesn't have to be entangled with politics, because it actually should be completely solidified and anchored in the prophetic. I love that. And I was telling you, and I'll read this to get us into, because then I want you to share a story of a person, because I think if we hear some stories of people, mm-hmm. it does open our heart. This is from my Lent reading. Yeah, good on, for you. Good for you with the Lent reading. I have a group who's keeping me accountable, <laughs> okay. okay, y'all. Um, but it was just talking about with compassion, our competition goes down, our judgment goes down. The more we engage, because compassion means to suffer with. Mm-hmm. Literally, like if you break down the words calm and passion, it means to suffer with. And so compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. That sounds not fun. But we do have a voice and power, but in order to my son has goes to a school that says they're men for others, but they have them engage in different uh, ministries around the city because they said you can't be men for others if you're not men with others. So you need to see the needs. So we kind of have to put ourselves in sometimes in a powerless state. And I will tell you, like, there were times we were in those powerless states and vulnerable and and it's you kind of get a sense of like, oh, this is what this feels like mm-hmm. when we met those two gals and they didn't know where they were going to sleep that night or mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you know, and they had babies that were sick. It's like, oh, OK, I'm I'm with this right now. And this is hard. It's full immersion in the condition of being human. So connect us with some humans. Mm-hmm. My goodness. One of the, the most recent trips I've taken. So now. I'm really fully immersed in this work, and I lead a community called Women of Welcome, and it is a Christian community of women who are more conservative, theologically and politically minded, even though we are strictly nonpartisan, and we look at this issue through the lens of our faith uh, first and foremost. And we talk about public policy. That's different than partisan politics because policies affect people. But really what it is, is we are a community that's on this journey to understand what authentic uh, biblical hospitality is towards the immigrant and the refugee. And so people show up with all kinds of questions and they and they show up asking in all kinds of wonky ways. In, and yet that's all welcome because we're all on a journey and everybody's starting at a different spot. And the goal is, get, is getting to a place that honors the Lord and loves people well uh, for the health and the sake of the church. So that's what that community is. So I'm fully in this work now. And so I actually now lead these immersion trips that we were invited on six six years ago. So we were invited on an immersive experience that took us down into the heart of Mexico to meet people. And so that's what I do now. I take other Christian women on these immersion experiences. And the most recent one I went on was to San Diego, Tijuana. And it was just this past November. I've been back to the border a couple of times since then already, actually. But This woman we met, she was from Iran and she was here in the U.S. seeking asylum and she had been granted asylum because back in Iran, she had been invited to a Bible study group in her neighborhood by some other women. It was obviously a very quiet study because, you know, Christians are persecuted in Iran. 
And she was late to group one day. And on her way there, the group was being raided. So she was late. So she was not a part of the raid. And so she went back to her house and she was like, we got to get out of here. All my friends are being put in jail. They're being persecuted. We got to get out of here. And her husband is not a believer at the time, uh, still is not to this day right now. And her son. So she, she'd become a Christian. She'd been a Christian for a month. And she was like, we've got to oh go. Gosh. We've got to go. And so there's nowhere she can get a visa. She can't get a visa anywhere near the U.S. because she lives in Iran. And we have strict kind of laws and rules and regulations about certain countries getting visas into our country. And so she flies into South America. I think it was like Venezuela or Brazil or something like that. And she and her son, her 10-year-old son and her husband, walk through over 10 countries to approach the southern border. They walk through the Darien Gap. And if you've ever heard of the Darien Gap, it's a stretch of incredibly dense and dangerous jungle territory where people lose their lives, where people are robbed, where people um, give up. And she said she was lost in the jungle for four days, four days and four nights with her son and her husband as she is following Jesus for only a month. And I said to her, were you scared? Like Mm. in the jungle? And she was like, I was at complete peace because Jesus Mm. kept talking to me. Mm. I'm like, okay, keep going. So she, she travels 10 countries, approaches the Southern border, um, turns herself into border patrol with her family. They are in detention. They're vetted. She tells her story. She passes a credible fear test and whatnot. So then she's in San Diego and a team from World Relief has loved on her and her family and started taking her to ESL classes and all these things. Well, that story is incredible in and of itself that you've been following Jesus for a month and then you flee to go to another country to keep following Because I yeah, I don't think most people would think someone from Iran is at the southern border. No. And honestly, no. she's the min- minority, right? There are very, very, yeah, very yeah, few yeah. people that make it from the Middle East, um, according to Border Patrol data. So in any case, she's here and she's trying to resettle. She's trying to get plugged into a Christian community. And her son is 10 and he is bitter. He has been yeah. through so much trauma. Mom's Jesus has made him leave his country, his grandparents, his friends, his school, his language, his community. He's so bitter. And he's like, mom's Jesus is just, has made my life awful. I'm here Mm. in America. I stick out like a sore thumb. No one wants to be my friend Mm. because they think I'm just some Muslim kid. Well, this 10 year old little girl at his public school starts to befriend him. She invites him to her birthday parties. She invites him to church. This little boy accepts Jesus Christ because of this 10-year-old girl in his school class. Don't tell me that Jesus does not have a plan for the migrating of people coming to America. I mean, it, it wasn't his mom's journey. It wasn't his, his great experience in this country. It wasn't he wanted the wealth and all of the safety and all of the things. He wanted to be back home. And yet God used another 10-year-old little girl whose mom surely discipled her well and told her that her neighbor was everyone around her. Good job, mom. And he became a believer. Hmm. And so she sat in front of us and we all are just weeping because we are like the power of motherhood, the power of discipling our kids well. And then she said, you know what? Keep praying for my husband though. He's not a Hmm. believer. 
And I'm just thinking, God, what a miraculous story, because you have a man who is a Muslim who we're told all kinds of narratives about, right? Like, you know, mercy killings and all of these things, right? And this man loved his wife so much that he left his home and his family and all these things. We said, how did he leave with you? And she said, he just loves me so much. And I was like, but I'm just saying this is one. We get these stereotypes and then we get to meet the person that doesn't fit the stereotype. And we're like, oh, you meet the person. Possibly there are Iranian Muslim men who love their wives. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Like that just blew all a bunch of people's minds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have dozens and dozens and dozens of stories of on both sides of the border of people who have not experienced the proximity of American welcome, who have not experienced the compassionate treatment of the U.S. government, who have not visited with Christians who want to hear their story. Um, Because getting in close proximity to people is really powerful and it will change you. It might not make you lead a whole immigration advocacy organization or whatnot. I mean, Heather and I, are in this, you know, we started at the same point, right? And yet, Heather, we were on the same trip. We were on the same didn't lead trip. Us to the same, right. Didn't lead us to the same conclusion, but that to me reinforces that God has a space for you, but he, he has a space for all of us. So, where like, did it lead you? I want to ask you that. Can I put you on the spot? Yeah. Because we went on the same trip, we had the same experiences. Yeah. So, what's different? I remember for you? leaving, yeah, feeling very compelled to activate moms Mm. to help families get to stay in their countries. Mm. Like it to me was like, why do we think that everyone's coming here because they think it's so great and we're like protecting it? It's like, I think if I was a mom and my family, I don't want to leave my dog and I don't want to leave my culture and I don't want to have to, if I'm a like this past Thanksgiving, you don't know this story, this past Thanksgiving, we weren't getting together with my family as we usually do every other Thanksgiving. And Bruce's parents, they were having a Thanksgiving meal and they invited us. And they're like, but we're having all of these students from China and different professionals, medical professionals from different Asian countries to our house. Is that okay? And I'm like, are you kidding? I'll be there That's amazing. <laughs> I'm in. And if anything, I want my boys to know that this table of Thanksgiving is a welcome spot mm-hmm. for anyone. But the amount of stories I heard in just that one meal mm-hmm. of individuals' journeys, mm-hmm. of just you know wanting to create places for their families to flourish, and the things they gave up, like the degrees they have mm-hmm. and the positions they held in their other countries, and they took lower positions here, or the amount of time there was a five-year-old that was playing football with my son, and, and I was talking to his mom, and That five-year-old had just shown up two weeks ago, and she hasn't seen him for two years. The sacrifices she made for their family to be in a safe space, like I'm just just saying – I don't even know how I start on this, but my heart was like, I know that they felt loved that day, Mm -hmm. but I also know that there are parts of an Asian culture that we cannot provide, and there's – I know that in – in an ideal world that their goal is to be at their own tables with their extended families. And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. it was uncomfortable for them Mm -hmm. to be trying cranberry and stuffing. All the things that we don't even actually really like. We had to maybe don't even like these things, but we made you try them. 
But I will tell you, like when we all went around and shared what we were thankful for, it just my whole heart just burst open the stories of simple things that their gratitude, I don't know, just was, my life was better for it. And I, I think that our own comforts and our own storylines can keep us from those kind of experiences. But yeah, I left, I left feeling like, okay, one, we have opportunities here in Dallas that I love. I'm so thankful that our church is a part of loving on refugees and it invites the whole family. I also really felt compelled to work with Compassion International to support women in Guatemala, Mm -hmm. Venezuela, the countries that I saw people coming from Mm -hmm. so that they could have their own jobs and support their families where they are. Stability where they are. Yeah. I mean, I love this poem from um, Warsaw Shire. I can never say anything right. But it's the poem called Home. And in that poem, Mm -hmm. she says, no one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. You only leave home and you run for the border when everyone else is running as well. And um, it's so true. If just sitting in the thought of what it would be like for you to grab everything you had at this moment that you could put and then grab your kids from school and then go, go literally drive somewhere and start and then leave your car where the last like checkpoint that you could. And then you guys just start walking with your stuff to another country. How would you hope to be received? You know, how, what, how would you hope that government would treat you or your children if you were sending them ahead of you? Because for whatever reason. I think that was one thing that kind of blew my mind when we were at the shelter was I I think we were, all of us were kind of showing up at the shelter with all kinds of feelings and we didn't know exactly how to feel, but I personally was feeling a lot of judgment. Like as far as like, where are these moms? Why are these babies by themselves? I don't even let my kid cross the street without holding my hand. And you're telling me that these women lost their children so that they can continue on up to the U S for a better life. What kind of mom is that? Like just what kind of mom abandons? Yeah. yeah, her kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when we left, it was like, what kind of mom is that? Because yeah. the bravery and the courage that it would take to make this decision, because it was the like, can you even imagine leaving your child in a government run shelter in another country, not your own? That would be your best option at the both of your survival. You're like, yeah. Wow. And I'm an adoptive mom. So when I was going to, I was just thinking like this is connection to adoption, like the very hard choice of birth moms around the country. Right. I mean, I'm an adoptive mom. And so when, when my son's birth mom handed him to me Mm -hmm. and the Lord really gave us a a beautiful time, a couple of days together in the hospital where it was like not decided what was going to happen. And I was just there to support her. And if she needed me, great. If she didn't, great. I'd take her home, you know, but I just, it's kind of like that. I will never be able to match the bravery of my son's birth mom. There's just no way people are, Oh, you're so brave for adopting. Sure. It takes some courage. Guess what? His mom is the hero of the story, not me. And that's what happened at the shelter. Like the mom's became the hero. They, they were no longer who I was judging, but they were who I was applauding and saying, all right, I, I'm seeing you better because I have become in closer proximity to you. And that is changing how personal this is to me. And I think that's yeah. what God wants us to do. He wants to enter into this powerful place of proximity 
where we get close to people in pain. And, and for so much of our churches and our communities, we are really, really good at curating comfortable and safe environments, predictable environments for ourselves and for our kids. And I'll be perfectly honest, I think our comfort is crippling us. Our comfort is crippling the church. And we are so out of practice in long suffering with people. You know, I read this quote from uh, Shane Claiborne. He's more of a, I, I believe he's a more progressive Christian than I am, which isn't a bad thing, but I just, you know, sometimes I have to preface it when I say this because it was a new thing for me to hear. And it's always mm -hmm. stuck with me because it wasn't a voice that I normally like listen to or anything, but he's a pastor and he's kind of um, a revolutionary kind of like John the Baptist out in the wilderness kind of guy. And he um, said, you know, it's, I'm convinced that it's not that rich Christians don't care about the poor. It's that they don't know the poor. Mm. And that has never left me somehow just like got lodged. Like you're right. Mm. Like I'm donating to the poor. I'm showing up at the gala. I'm writing the checks. I am advocating with my voice, but do I know anybody in which I'm donating to? Do mm. I have a name? Do I have a friendship or have people just become the ministry checkbox or have people yeah. become my friends? Am I, am I in relationship? Are, are people people or are they a project to me? And um, I do think that that is a real thing we have to wrestle with in the church. And I think as a young mom or a mom in general, you're so busy with, with really trying to steward what God has in front of you really, really well, but you yeah. also have a responsibility in whatever season that you're in, it could be small little things or it could be big things, right? Depending on your season, we do have a responsibility to understand what the kingdom of God is supposed to be about and what is our part in it in whatever season we find and what is our kids part in it. It's got to be bigger than our curated little community. It's got to expand beyond that. Otherwise, we will stay crippled on our mat and we will be in hindrance to the growth of the kingdom of God. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I feel like I'm hearing more and more people talking about the benefits of therapy. Maybe you've seen it for yourself. Maybe you're in a season where you know you need therapy, but you just cannot find or make the time to do it. I feel like in my season of four young kids, when I finally made the phone call and I finally went and saw a therapist, there was such a breakthrough. I was feeling so stuck. You heard me mention in a couple episodes back about my own panic attacks and therapy was the thing that unlocked what was stuck and gave me perspective on why life was so hard. And so if you are someone who's in a season, you've been thinking about starting therapy one option that's convenient, entirely online, flexible, and suited to your schedule is BetterHelp. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. They will get you matched with a licensed therapist. And if you want, you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. You are going to be able to learn what makes you happy. Get unstuck with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash DMA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash D-M-A.
Well, I kind of hear a saying like part of that proximity is loving the people in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing there are people who are refugees or immigrants in a lot of neighborhoods around the U.S. Mm -hmm. I'd also love to unpack and, and detangle this complex conversation about immigration to help the person listening know what their part is mm -hmm. because it's changing so much and because of because it has become partisan and because it changes when the administration changes so drastically like the response and and we see headlines I, I love the chapter you have that has the headline that people are I'm going to read some of them just so y'all know like if you've thought these things and you're like I don't know how to I don't know what to do with that headline migrant caravans are invading america um headline our vetting process is lacking. You go into the vetting process. Mm -hmm. uh, immigrants are draining American resources. Uh, immigrants raise the risk of crime and terrorism. Immigrants will replace American culture. Immigration is a major venue for human trafficking. The, these are, mm -hmm. they smuggle drugs. Immigrants smuggle large amounts of drugs. Like these are things that I have heard said in, in yeah. conversations I've had with people in my Christian community. Yep. And so- yep. I love that you tackle those. We have to. Is there one that you'd love to tackle quickly or like overall just kind of give a preface regarding some of these headlines? Yeah, I think one of the reasons why Women of Welcome has the community that we have and we would encourage you to follow along is because it's our job to kind of help translate these headlines. There's a lot of language, a lot of terminology being thrown around. There's a lot of partisan narratives that are really motivated as clickbait. People benefit off of your fear. People benefit off of your ignorance. People benefit off of all of our collective laziness to not dig deeper and to not learn more, right? And so, of course, like we mentioned earlier, showing up with the both and, like, it's not that you have to leave your fear at the door, even though Jesus does command over and over again, do not be afraid. I am with you wherever you go. You can walk in with your fear and your compassion at the same time. And also, Keeping a healthy level of curiosity will take you really far. And it will actually, I think, help you get closer to people that you never thought that you would by just maintaining a real deep well of curiosity about a subject matter or, or a person. And then all of those headlines, like if we were just to go down them, really, you know, I think some of the biggest ones right now that people are hearing is invasion language. And I think... Mm -hmm. Invasion language is is dangerous in the fact that when we say that we're being invaded, people immediately think about a takeover of some sort. I mean, Russia invaded Ukraine and they were yeah. overthrowing borders and coming into this into all kinds of Ukrainian cities, murdering, raping, slaughtering, and trying to take over the entire country. That's that's an invasion yeah. with military weapons with strategy and generals who are, are out to take over and usurp the entirety of Ukraine, right? Yeah. That's not what's happening at our southern border. What is happening at our southern border is a very unsustainable process um, because of our immigration system. Our border patrol agents are not being overrun, but the amount of people are is overwhelming the system. What is currently happening is not sustainable. And it's okay to say that. It's okay to say we need something better. And there are too many people that may be coming to the border and looking for border patrol. Sure. But do they have a false claim? Are, are they coming and actually trying to like invade or infiltrate or something like that? I mean, 
what I will say is, is that this country has a really thorough vetting process for refugees. It's a little bit different for those who are coming here at the southern border, but we do have a very thorough vetting process that has isn't perfect, but it's pretty darn good. And so I think sometimes when we think about the invasion language, we have to be mindful of when we think of the word invasion, what does that actually mean? Sometimes um, some of these conversations about what's happening with drugs, you know, nobody wants more drugs into this country. But when you scrape just a little bit under the surface, what you realize from Border Patrol data and from customs data is that 90% of all drug seizures happen at legal ports of entry. And 86% Mm. of the people that those drugs are on are U.S. citizens. And so you think, wait, so U.S. citizens are actually crossing back and forth at legal ports of entry because they can because of their citizenship. And they are the ones that are smuggling the drugs. Not not migrants. Because it's a business, baby. It is a business. And just to think, you know, yeah. vulnerable families that are showing up at the, at the border or any individual, man, woman, or child showing up at the border and looking to find Border Patrol, they're submitting themselves to the to the U.S. government saying, vet me, these search me. These are not me. people sneaking in. These are not, these are people who are like, hey, I'm here. Yeah. Check me yeah. in. Yeah, so yeah. It's not It's losing money for the cartels if they're going to place drugs on vulnerable migrants who are just going to turn themselves into Border Patrol, which hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people are doing that. So it just doesn't make sense. So just keeping curious about like, it wouldn't make sense if you were trying to turn yourself in and you were actually trying to flee that kind of lifestyle and that kind of corruption that you would then turn yourself into law enforcement where all of that would be seized. So, I mean, some of these things you just don't know until you you know, read about this. Well, you, I mean, I feel like it's an elephant in the room for someone who maybe checks social media, the recent headline with the girl in Georgia who was killed by a Venezuelan. Oh, yeah. Can you talk us through that? Yeah. Again, we're going to show up with both and, right? Because, because it's horrific. It's really horrific. And you, um, evil is evil and sin is sin, no matter where it takes over. And um, so you can't, you can't tell people, oh, it's just one incident because what if it's your daughter, you know, Yeah. and it is somebody's daughter. So you have to hold the tension of, yeah, that guy never should have been here. And that girl never, she should be alive today. And you know what? Our, mm-hmm. our system is unsustainable. Our current system is very broken. And if our politicians want to keep playing circus up there on Capitol Hill, the system's not going to get fixed and we need them to get to work because Congress is the only one that can actually make immigration law and pass immigration law. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people think, well, it's the president. It's the president can do that. And it's like, well, yeah, during the previous administration, we saw a closing of borders and we saw, we also saw a human trafficking vacuum happen on the Southern side of the border where women and children were being kidnapped and exploited at such high rates that it was being reported a Across the globe, that our our immigration policies were creating the very thing that Americans say that they hate, and so um, what you have to say is, in that kind of situation, sin is awful, mm. and that never should have happened. It's also true, even as awful as that is, immigrants to this country, foreign-born folks in our country, commit violent crimes and. Uh, crimes in general, at drastically lower rates than native-born citizens. So when you think about how many undocumented immigrants are in this country, which is, you know, 
11 to 12 million people. And then you think about, okay, that's a pretty large data pool to understand that from. And then you think about the hundreds of thousands of asylum seekers who are here trying to come the only legal way that they can to know that they are fleeing that kind of evil. And the vast, 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 vast majority of them are not involved in that kind of activity at all. We, we can't say this one incident is going to be a death sentence for everybody else who, who is legitimately fleeing persecution. And it's our government's job to figure that out and to vet people thoroughly to figure that out. But you have to hold the tension of both and. Like, that's awful. Yeah. She should still be here today. Our system is so broken. Congress, could you get to work, please, and stop playing around with politics, right? Yeah. And there are hundreds of thousands of legitimate asylum seekers who are fleeing the very thing that just happened. And um, both things can be true at the same time. And both things can be very hard at the same time. It's a good word. And humans are hurting humans. Have been every since day. the beginning of time. It doesn't make it easier. So our role, our role as Christ followers, as moms mm -hmm. in this community, um, one, we're going to follow women of welcome so we can untangle all these terms as they're unfolding. <laughs> yes. That's what I appreciate mm -hmm. you all because it can't be like we do this recording and we tell you what to do because next week it could be Oh, different. next week there will be another headline. I mean, this is the topic of conversation for the next 15 and, months. I mean, it just will be. So, or, or for a while. It's, it's maybe. never really so left the headlines. And so never really here left we are. Headlines. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do. We are going to, um, I personally think, spend some time with Jesus and ask him to open your eyes to who needs compassion around you. Like, let's occupy our spaces where we are. I think. That, that is something we can invite our children into. That's not something that's going to take away from our families, but only Enhance. Mm -hmm. add to our family life and our discipleship, like you said. Um, mm -hmm. And then what else? What else you got for us that we can – and not that everything's a to-do, but I I feel like sometimes when these issues feel so overwhelming, we the, get paralyzed and there's a nothing that happens. Yeah, and I, and I think it's also incredibly paralyzing to read headline after headline, especially in Texas – but I mean, I know you have a national listenership, but headline after headline that tells you that your compassion is ill-placed and that this is not where Christians belong. And what our job as Christians to, is to think first and foremost from a biblical perspective about people. So no, the Bible doesn't say anything about U.S. immigration policy, but it has a heck of a lot to say about immigrants and refugees and God's heart for them and how we're to treat them and what we're supposed to think, say, and feel about them. And I think all of us have probably been in conversations where you have a family member or a friend who talks in really dehumanizing ways about image bearers who are immigrants and refugees. And we're very paralyzed on knowing what to say and what to do. And so hopefully the book Start With Welcome helps you have a better conversation, one that is faith-filled and also one that is confident in some ways that maybe you weren't before. This is this is the book that allows you to have a conversation about immigration that you never thought you could have, but that you're really relieved could actually be a new narr a narrative for Christians in this country. So I think the number one thing that people ask of Women of Welcome is what can I do to help, which is what I, what I think you're asking. And a lot of people will say, well, I'm not sure that I have immigrants or refugees in my community. And what I would say is a quick Google search will prove you wrong. 
in the fact that if you Google immigrant services in whatever city or town or county you're in, or just Googling a, an immigrant congregation, like Korean church or, you know, Hispanic church or, or whatever it is. When Russia invaded Ukraine, I went and visited a Slavic evangelical church that I had no idea existed in my town. But just to sit in the back row and kind of provide solidarity on a morning where my husband had the kids for two hours and I just ran over to the church I'd never been to before, you know. So part of it is we need to use our voice as well and calling our elected officials to accountability and saying, you know what, you're you're really good on this. I like that you're trying to keep us safe, but I do not like the way in which you're trying to do it. It's dehumanizing. People are dying. Um, the system is not sustainable. Could you do a better job? I like what you're doing here, but I don't like what you're doing here. So your voice is really powerful in holding the elected officials who make the laws accountable. The second thing is like opening your eyes to slow down enough to see people wherever they are in your community. And sometimes that means you're going to have to intentionally choose proximity somewhere. And maybe that's going to a different park in town. Maybe that's going to a different grocery store or something just so that you might encounter or see other people who don't look just exactly like you, right? Maybe it's attending another congregation once a, a month to just realize how diverse your city is and where other image bearers are finding themselves in your city. Right now, for the first time in U.S. history, the U.S. government is asking private citizens to help resettle refugees from overseas, people who have been vetted for two years and who have been determined not only by the U.N., but by the U.S. government to be people fleeing persecution. It's called the Private Refugee Resettlement Program. And my, my Bible study just signed up to do this um, for the first time. We've never done it before. But basically, there's over 100 million people that are circling the globe because of forcible displacement, and um, they're needing to find refuge and safety. And this is an opportunity for the church to say, wait, I could bring a new family into this country and help them flourish. Okay, how do I do that? Right. So if you message Women of Welcome, we'll get you all the details, and I'm sure Heather will have it in the show notes. But there are lots of things you can do, and, and a lot of it can be right in your own community. But there's a both and in that too, right? It's the national advocacy, but it's also the personal local proximity. And then it's thinking about what could I gift my family to? And maybe it's a refugee family who needs to start over, but needs you to apply and gather your group to help support them the first 90 days that they come to, to our country, you know? So there are avenues and things you can do. And really that's between you and the Lord. So pray about what God might be stirring in your heart, what to do with all that God-given compassion. Um, because you can have confidence about it. It's not political. It's prophetic. And just lean into that because that's where God wants you to be. So good. Y'all keep following Brie. You're in good hands. <laughs> and thank you for being with me today. I me. so appreciate your heart and passion. Thanks, friend. And compassion. <laughs> Thanks, friend. Okay. I know that was a little bit longer conversation. And my heart, as you know, is always... Uh, not to add more division. So I hope whatever was said that Bree said or I said that you may not agree with, my hope and prayer is we can hold the tension of that and recognize that the enemy wins when we divide over issues involving people and that we can do what we can where we are. That's the message I heard um, from the little 10-year-old girl who was kind to the boy in her class. And that boy is now forever in the kingdom of God because of her kindness. 
Uh, it's not huge sweeping things. It's the all of us coming together, moved by compassion to love the people around us. So that's my heart in all of this. I'm going to pray over us. Lord, I thank you for these words from Luke. Be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. I pray, Lord, that you would stir something in us, that the Holy Spirit would empower us to see past our own innate human desires to protect and control um, a comfortable life. And I pray, Lord, that we would be moved um, to do one thing in our neighborhood, to see an outsider, to love a person with kindness. And Lord, I know that we're so thankful for the people who create policies because policies care for people and give us wisdom, give leaders wisdom. We pray for whoever is guiding our country that they would uh, be led by you. Ultimately, Lord, we know that no leader is outside of your control, that even in the time of Jesus, when Rome ruled, that you weren't surprised. And I pray, Lord, we would increase our faith in you and that fear would decrease. I pray, Lord, that you would be with each mom who's listening, that she would feel empowered to lead her kids towards compassion, that she would see the disciples right at her feet, that she would recognize the ripple effect and impact she has on the whole world by loving those in her home and those around her home that that would feel significant today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I wasn't going to make the prayer and all that long, but there I was, being long. Uh, thanks for joining me. I hope you caught our little sidetracked that happened um, on Friday. If you didn't, it's maybe because you aren't subscribed to the show. All you do is subscribe, and you'll make sure you get an alert in your little podcast app whenever a new episode drops. Next Monday, I'll be back with Ralphie Jacobs. We're going to talk about positive parenting. It was a little kick in the pants for me, y'all, but it's been really helpful and good. All right. See you next week. Adios. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us, moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.